and all the books that may have the signatories could out themselves about this wonderful system they were bringing in and how you'd have to keep up national sovereignty and even a certain amount of your jobs and your work in your factories and so on. We're living through all of it, the present generation, which comprises of a few generations, and at the same time, as we go through it, the younger generation are being prepped and indoctrinated for the next part of this, of this stretch once that's all done, and they will see it in their lifetime that they'll go into this new system thinking it's all quite natural because they've been trained from kindergarten that it is so. And we live in a world of incredible deception, incredible deception. We're understood too perfectly, you might say. Back with more after this break. and 
That way they, they would target all different institutions individually, unbeknownst to the public, and get the, the changes done from within each country by working on the different institutions that would run your country. That been, that's been very successful, and they've accomplished their mission, I would say. Part of it was to dumb down the people, big time, which they did, and in most countries, first world countries, and by giving them a different kind of education. It's more of a, a social engineering program for the future where we're, we're going to all just cuddle each other and cuddle trees and, and, and be all embracing of everything, you see. That kind of idea as opposed, and group, lots of group think too, as opposed to being individual and individualistic and having your own opinions about things and getting basic mathematics and, and history and English and all the rest of it. So they've accomplished most of their missions, as I say, and we're, we'll have more. I've read some articles to do with intelligence agencies over the years running uh, major newspapers, for instance. And either that or they'll put embedded reporters in from the CIA. The FBI does it too. You've got the same thing in Britain. You've got Mossad as well involved in all the countries with, with, with real top professional reporters. I mean, uh, what a mess it is. And we get a spin on all news. And even when the, the, the little thing in your back of your mind says this is, doesn't sound right, well, go with that little thing at the back of your mind, that little thing that doesn't want to go along with something's wrong about this kind of slant on the news. You're generally right, you see. But that's how incredibly... Um, complex it is, right down to the simplest of propaganda from your local, uh, either your state or in Canada as a province, uh, your local propaganda from your local uh, parliament. Uh, it's all gone through marketing departments, professionals, big bucks on marketing, massive bucks on marketing. In Canada, they spend about 40 odd, I think it's 40 odd million, uh, and something's 48 million dollars per, per year. Just telling you how good the medical system is in Canada as you slash and burn. Because the propaganda overrides the reality and leaves people in double think. Well, they're still saying it must be good, so it must be, even though you personally might be experiencing the opposite. It's like aerial spraying. People go into denial. And because it hasn't been mentioned on any mainstream media, they won't, they won't touch it. All they do will be with that comical fashion. And like McLuhan said yesterday too, um, the, they don't, the, the really big things you don't worry about in government because public incredulity will work uh, for you in government. In other words, it's too incredulous that people could do this to us. It's too incredulous. That's how the people are. Who on earth would want to spray the air and alter the atmosphere and, and use maybe even weaponry on you? Never mind the fact that you can't breathe all that stuff in. Regardless, it's not meant to be there in nature, in the air. So they simply go into denial because it's too big for them to handle. They're incredulous about it. But years ago, many of us have said that um, the United Nations, which was set up, and I've gone through the history of the United Nations before, was set up to be uh, the platform for a global government. Uh, and it has a, a, every every particular agency you have in your federal government, they have an equi equivalent one in theirs, a bigger one, in fact, because they've got to do the whole world. So it's all kinds of regulations and farming and everything else. But here's the United Nations, it says, to propose planetary regulations of water and food. And uh, I'll say that again, because, again, 
people being fed to us, UN to propose planetary regulations of water and food. Now that's what they said they'd do back in the 1940s. Everybody yelled at them. Now they can come out and go ahead and people are too well entertained to, to bother really. An environmental report issued by an agency of the United Nations last month has some critics sounding alarms in. It's a crying call for global governance over how the earth is managed. Now this is from Fox News, so they've got a double spin on this, is it? You'll see, you'll actually see it as we go through it. The report um, is 21 issues for the 21st century, which was a crucial tie-in with Agenda 21. From the United Nations Environmental Program, the UNEP is called Foresight Process. It's a culmination of a two-year deliberative process involving 22 core scientists. Well, we didn't vote them in. Nobody's voted. You know, the United Nations is not a democratic system. It was set up to be an authoritarian system for a post-democratic society and world. I hope you realize that. So it is expected to receive a considerable attention in the run-up to the Rio Plus 20 United Nations Conference on Sustainable Development. That's where they bring you into planned poverty. They call it austerity instead. And that's why they're going into it. Not because of bank failures or anything else. It's because it was planned that way. So anyway, this next conference will be held in Rio, Brazil in June. The scientists who wrote the report say it focuses on identifying emerging issues in the global environment and it is not about mandating solutions, which is a lie too, because they already have all their um, round table societies working constantly uh, to do with solutions. Go into the Drawings of International Affairs site, Chatham House, and you'll see that they've been working, they themselves, that's the British CFR bunch, they themselves have been working on the coming food crisis for 16 years, just one part of one think tank working on that for 16 years. But it's critics see an agenda looking at 60 pages which calls for a complete overhaul of how the world's food and water are created and distributed. Something the report says is uh, urgently needed for the human race to keep feeding and hydrating itself safely. This is more utopianism, pie-in-the-sky pleading for global governance, including what they acknowledge as novel governance uh, arrangements including alliances between environmentalists, the show NGO groups near foundations, and other civil society groups, charged Chris Horner, author of Red Hot Lies. How global warming alarmists use threats, fraud, and deception to keep you misinformed, and a senior fellow for energy and environment at the Free Market Competitive Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C. The Foresight Report suggests actions to save humanity from starvation, the overheating planet, and the collapse of the world's oceans, options that include new constitutional frameworks, international protocols, and shared visions for land and water management that essentially rewire existing treaties and governments. But the group insists it's not a call for a global government. No, of course it's not. <laughs> They'll own everything that you need to live on, to live with. They'll have it all. But it's not global government, no. Food and water are the oldest techniques of getting everybody on their knees on behalf of a conquering army. So we're not talking about world government, said Dr. Oren Young, professor of institutional and international governance. This is his job. He's a professor of institutional and international governance at environmental institutions at Santa Barbara. That's his job, international governance, right? We're not talking about world government. It's like a clown asking you to take him seriously. 
He said the panel uh, conversations include questions like, how do we resolve these problems without creating this monster entity? So they go on and try to poo-poo. It's not going to be that. It's just a few different treaties you'll sign in and so on across the world to save the world. And it comes down to sustainable energy and economy, etc., etc., etc. So I'll put this site up for you to wade through. It's much longer than this as they take you back and forth on this beautiful mind trip they do uh, of uh, taking you one way and another until most folk will just toss it away from their head. But it's embedded now. Not that it's coming. That part stays embedded in your brain. And that's how they do it with you, with these types of reports. Yep. There's no laughing with these clowns. Back with more after this break. Analysts. 
And there are lots of these privately owned um, military industrial media complexes out there, by the way. It says, through seven years of war, an exclusive club has quietly flourished at the intersection of network news and wartime commerce. Its members are mostly retired generals, and they've had a foot in both camps as influential network military analysts and defense industry rainmakers. It's a deeply opaque world, a place of privileged access to senior government officials, where war commentary can fit hand in glove with undisclosed commercial interests and network executives are sometimes oblivious to possible conflicts of interest. Most of the time they know darn well, I'm sure. Few illustrate that submerged complexity of this world better than Barry McCaffrey. Uh, General McCaffrey has immersed himself in businesses that have grown with the fight against terrorism. Well, we saw that too with Overwitz and all the rest of them and, uh, and a whole bunch of them at the top from the old Bush regime. They're still hanging on to this, this regime, present regime. And we know, too, that Chertoff was a guy who brought in the Homeland Security uh, scans, uh, and then he left to become the head of the company that sells all the scanners. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty open, isn't it? And these overlapping roles offer them an array of opportunities to advance policy goals as well as business objectives. But with their business ties left undisclosed, it can be difficult for policymakers and public to fully understand their interests. On NBC and other public forums, General McCaffrey has consistently advocated wartime policies and spending priorities that are in line with his corporate interests, although interests are not described to NBC's viewers. He's held out as a dispassionate expert, not someone who helps companies win contracts related to the wars he discusses on television. But of course, too, they also tell you that you're going to war with the next country, the next country. All these private organizations do these complexes of analysts, as they call them. They all... Uh, many of them are actually works by Israel as well, and there's no doubt on that. There's just too, too, too many um, investigations into that. The Guardian did one of the first ones, has even found out that most of the Arabian news from Arab countries that was coming over to the West was actually run by one network of uh, ex officers, actually present Mossad officers or Israeli intelligence officers in Israel. Over here, you think, that's another one about an Arab country. It must be an Arab talking. No. And that's how your head is spinned with propaganda. It's spun, I should say. The propaganda by those that want you to get the right opinion, the one they've decided you're going to get. So you'll be all on board for war. Things like that. But, it, but as I say, many of these organizations will also work on all political policies internally as well. To make sure, once again, you get the right opinions. And you come away believing, oh, well, I guess they have to tax us more, and et cetera, et cetera, because blah, blah, blah. Part of this agenda, too, was to get away, get rid of the useless eaters, as I say. Every country, even in the 1800s, they said, had a purpose. So the big philosophers and historians, sort of the purpose of the world and the purpose of the world agenda, the purpose of Darwinism, which fit in exactly with it, too and how they could use countries to take over other countries until uh, they'd won the, their goals, basically. And then the countries you were using to take over countries would simply be excessive weeds you'd have to get rid of. And now you see them going down into austerity. Now the United Nations claim that Britain basically is a failed state. It's kaput. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth.
And it's gone downhill from even then. Because you see, all the jobs have to go to China and third world countries, which they have done. And these poor saps over in Britain have helped to pay for it all, along with Canada and the US and everywhere else. But they've got 10 cities in the States. This is done on a global level. It's done by a pyramid system with a definite capstone that guides all the rest of the, the politicians and agendas. There's only one one at the top. You see, not two or three or a dozen all conflicting. There's only one capstone here to make sure you go completely global and that we do all come down with their standard of living into what they call austerity, which literally is George Orwell's uh, system of, of um, nihilism, basically. And when you've got no future to look forward to, you've got nothing left but drugs and booze. And they make sure there's lots of them supplied. That's reality. You see the same situation in, in third world countries where, where big lords uh, run the areas by the use of the gun and their, 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 their big uh, hard men, as we used to call them, their big gangs. Now it's just governments doing the same darn thing in ex-first world countries. Amazing, but that's how it is. Anyway, that's what they say. And then the legal immigrants in Britain are desperate to escape the squalor of Britain. They came to Britain illegally in search of a better life, but the reality turned out to be far removed from what they dreamed of. They, well, they shouldn't watch TV movies. The BBC has spoken to the old immigrants who find themselves living amongst rats and rubbish in makeshift garden sheds and garages. They want to be deported back to India, but many are trapped in a bureaucratic no-man's land without any documents. And that gives you an example of the poor souls and usual the cardboard boxes stuff I've seen for this stuff for years. And it says Jack Dish's family paid £10,000 to traffickers who promised a better life and smuggled him from India to Britain with dozens of others in the back of a lorry, a truss, a big truck. And of course, it'll be Indians who are the traffickers themselves, who have already made good in Britain, but they came to Britain with big cash to start with. That's how the rich in India got rich in the first place, folks. And they bring it with them wherever they go. It's the same elsewhere. The first ones in are the big rich gang, the richest gangs. And they bring in all the slaves, you know. And they keep them in bondage. He says, I was told that the life was good here. It's not just me. Other boys came for work. He says, you can see what state we're in. There's no work and no government help. And that is true. So why bother opening the floodgates too, as they have done in the past? So illegal immigrants would rather go back to the squalor of India than live in the squalor of Britain. Because now they're starting to cut back on welfare now, since we're utterly bankrupt many times over. Now, I mentioned too that the biggest drug pusher is the government. And I mentioned that... Uh, the article on how much money a little country like Scotland pays uh, by our government, so your tax money, for methadone, a substitute for heroin, and there's so many people on it. But this other article I've got today complements that because it says here, um, the methadone money trail lines the pockets of multinational drug companies and the pharmacies. Drug producers such as Martindale Pharma and Rosemont Pharmaceuticals were paid £8.6 million to supply the heroin substitute wholesale to pharmacies by the government. High Street pharmacists, that's a lot of chemist shops to call them over there, then charged the National Health Service £5.7 million 
in handling fees and a further £13.7 million to distribute the drug to addicts. They're just raking the cash in. Create the problem and you profit it mightily. You profit incredibly, in fact. So for every £1 of public money spent on methadone distribution last year, about 60 pence went to the, the chemists, the pharmacists, who gave it out, dispensed it. Not bad, eh? Not bad. Going. Do you understand for every misfortune it's someone's fortune? It's an old saying from another religion. And again, I'll put up the, the original article, Total Cost of Prescribing the Methadone in Scotland surpassed £28 million in 2011. And believe you me, if you see third world country squalor, and then you go back to places like Britain, where literally the youngsters see no hope at all. That's what you'll encounter. You'll find it on Indian reserves in Canada. Drug use and massive alcoholism. Any escape from the misery of reality. And the big boys that planned this world society knew all this would happen. And made sure they did by bringing in all the drugs in the first place. And here's an article about the poor guys who work on Wall Street. These poor sods, you know, who've had a little bit of pay cut. And it, my heart goes out to them, it says. It says, Andrew Schiff was sitting in a traffic jam in California this month after giving a speech at an investment conference about gold. He turned off the satellite radio, got out of the car, and screamed the profanity. He said, I'm not Zen at all. And when I'm freaking out about the situation where I'm stuck like a rat in a trap on a highway with no way to get out, it's very hard, Schiff says. Director of Marketing for Broker-Dealer Euro-Pacific Capital Inc. is to do an interview. Chef 46 is facing another kind of jam this year. Paid a lower bonus. He said that $350,000 he earns this year, enough to put him in his top 1% by income, doesn't cover his family's private schooling tuition. Poor soul, eh? Don't you just bleed for him, eh? A Connecticut uh, summer rental and upgrade. They would like from their 1,200 square foot Brooklyn duplex, it says. I feel stuck, Chef says. The New York that I wanted to have is still just beyond my reach. These are the guys who, who sold all your jobs abroad, folks, their investments and stuff, and, and profited mightily from it, too, with the cheap labor in China and elsewhere for the big factory boys. The smaller bonus checks that hit accounts across the financial services industry this month are making it difficult to maintain the lifestyles that Wall Street workers expect, according to interviews with bankers and their accountants, therapists, advisors, and headhunters. And so they're having a hard time, you know. They, they have to actually look at the price of salmon before they buy it. They, they, they don't eat cat food like the rest of us, you know. Poor souls, eh? I'll put this link up for you tonight so you can grieve over uh, how hard it is for these guys. I mean... He's got nothing left after he pays his seven and a half grand to the golfing uh, club that he belongs to and things like that. He's just sell two of his big cars and stuff and his motorbikes. And, and he can't go abroad every year like he used to in skiing like he used to because he can't live on that anymore. $350,000. Eh? Well, what a shame. It's been down the tubes, eh? And this article here is about... Agenda 21, again, for those who are not quite certain what it is, and if you're not certain what it is, I'm sorry, you're gone. You're gone. You're just one of the ones that many, uh, who do understand what to cry over eventually. And it's called the Post-Sustainability Institute. 
and it gives you uh, a rundown again in education, so I'll explain what's happening today, why they're going into austerity, why a lot of the rural folk are getting put off the lands, and they are getting put off the land by government uh, laws, they're getting put in all the time, and taxed off the land. And now it fits in with communitarianism, for those who don't understand, that's already working in some areas already across the states, Canada and Britain. And why it's, why it's here, it's all through the United Nations again. Good article, and it's up to you if you want to seriously read it, because if you don't understand it, you'll just react with emotion about how, how bad things are getting without understanding why. Why? This is an agenda you're living through. Another thing to do, to do, you understand, I used to look at all the, the big families who'd made it in different countries, made it big, 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 stinking rich, and then ended up in politics and became very respectable, but all started as gangsters, you know. The big families started as gangsters. And you see the lower ones getting caught. They're trying to get up there. If, if they can get up there, even if they do a little time, if, if they're caught at all, and they've still got billions left, and they can put their children through the best schools in the U.S., for instance, look them out of Harvard and all the rest of it, and then they, they go into politics. And now you're respectable. Same with the Kennedys. They all were into this kind of stuff. Uh, and the same with um, the Bronfmans and many, many others. Same guys are still running the countries today. So a Texas doctor has been charged with running a massive health fraud. This is one doctor. Uh, he's running health fraud care schemes with thousands of fraudulent patients and intermediaries allegedly offering cash, food stamps, or free groceries to bulk Medicare and Medicaid of nearly $375 million. A federal indictment unsealed Tuesday charged Jax Roy, a doctor who owned Medistat Group Associates in DeSoto, Texas, and six others in an alleged scheme to build Medicare for home services that were not properly billed, not medically necessary, or not done. The scheme was the largest dollar amount by a single doctor and covered by a task force on Medicare fraud authorities said. Use attorney Sarah Saldana accused Roy of selling his signature to home health agencies that rounded up thousands of patients' names and built Medicare and Medicaid for five years. Now, it's possible that many others have gotten away with this same scam. And believe you me, it doesn't matter. Once the children, as I say, have grown up, gone through the best schools, and become suddenly very respectable, and I'll always speak on your behalf as you run for politics, um, that would be okay then. You see, but this guy didn't, didn't quite get caught too early. Caught too early, but it was a good scam, obviously, good scam. And she understood how to do it. And there'll be many others, I'm sure, have, have already made their way up the line uh, by using the same scam as this. That's the greatest thing when they talk about, you know, white collar crime. You see, they call it victimless crime. Even when they end up losing, thousands of people end up losing their homes, for instance, with the bank frauds, they call it a victimless crime. It's all within ten cities. Or forests. Stuff like that. A slap on the wrist. It's, it's almost like the judge is saying, good try, good try, you know, bankers, good try. You almost made it. Uh, you know, I'll give you nine marks out of ten. If it's got the ten marks altogether, they bump me up with the judge, you know. Uh, but anyway, that's how things really are. This is the real world. That's how it works. That's how it works. Now, Article 2 is a full spectrum domination on Agenda 21, another one to back up the last one I mentioned. And you, you'll see, again, in, in very simplistic terms, what it's really all about. And every, every country, 
every politician has signed on to this on your behalf without asking you and your cash is going to go across it already is going across the planet it's the redistribution of wealth a la Karl Marx the bankers love Karl Marx that they, they trade them basically another thing too is done is the setting up of all many front agencies it's the same as the communists the communists had hundreds and hundreds of front organizations they were communists, but they even had Christian ones that didn't know that they were getting involved in something communistic. But they just set up ones which who know where they're going. And the common purpose in Britain was one set up to do just that. as a big charitable organization. And even the charities are not supposed to interfere with politics and policies of, of the country. These guys are even bring on board people who are working and sworn to uphold the country, either in the military at that time, uh, as members they had brought, brought them on, They've also brought on, brought on mayors and uh, top politicians and the, the, the British government. Their whole idea is to make sure that everything stays going Euro integration, and they're even training the future leaders. So, so you'll be governed by the future leaders that they were, were trained by common purpose. They, they pick them out, actually, and they train them, just like the Soviet Union, the old system to the, the common turn, etc., uh, young Communist League and all that kind of stuff. They're training the leaders that will one day be presented to you to vote for. Anyway, it says they call them the lottery winners here because they made a, a massive gain from the government. I was getting these handouts from government. Why is government funding a supposed organization that's charitable that has nothing but a political agenda? What's another way of government to keep their hands clean? We want this, says government. So we'll call it something else back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. After the callers now because uh, I didn't realize that the time has just run away as always it does. So I'll take Dave first from the UK. Dave is hanging on there. Hi, Alan. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm hanging on too. <laughs> um, I just wanted to talk about uh, an organization called SWIFT. Have you heard of it? It's in Belgium. Mm -hmm. It's like um, it's a money uh, transferring. Um, I don't know what it is, corporation or whatever it is, a global institution. Yeah. Have you heard of it? I think I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to just like bring that bring that to your attention because it's like that's how global we are. You know, there's an organisation in Belgium mm -hmm. that we I, I I didn't even hear of it. I only heard of it because they wanted to shut down the payments to Iran. I think they're going to clamp down on them now. Yeah. And um, you know, um, stop any money coming in from outside. So yes, it's, it's amazing. There's, there's stacks and stacks of these investment firms and banks, even insurance companies involved. Some of the biggest bankers really are insurance companies. But what they do is, if they're told by some guy at the top, just close all transactions with Iran. And, and even the governments get involved, and, and they try and, uh, and seize all the assets that Iran has invested abroad. Every country has got money invested abroad. And once they do that, they try to starve you into submission. Uh, and until you retaliate, until you retaliate and start something off, they want Iran to make their first move. They've said that. 
So they're they're literally all on board together with the same agenda. But as I say, there's no there's no competing factions here. It's all one system. Uh, as long as they all get a good share of the loot at the end, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to get my last point is what's your opinion on um, like when you see like um, in, in Britain you have like the nationalist organisations and the protest groups, you know, between the two sides, that dialectic. Yeah. Is that what is, is that basically a distraction, or what exactly is that? What's your, what's your take on that? I, I think it is distraction. Because, uh, and, and again, too, it works two ways. If you bring up a nationalistic group, which is today a kind of no-no, uh, it's, it's gone from being nationalistic to, to, to the extreme today. It's a no-no to be nationalistic. You're supposed to be international. That's a PC way to go. And um, But the national bit is, is always smeared like Nazis, so that keeps everybody else terrified. And then the media blows it up to make sure that you're all terrified of the small group uh, that appears to be nationalistic. Uh, and then the government gets more power they get more votes, the particular parties that, that um, are in power already, they, they use that to stay in power and to get more folk to vote for them. See, they're crazy folk out there. They want to be nationalistic, just like the Nazis. Uh, and and so they, they play this, this game of the dialectic, as you say. But as I say, Carl quickly said that no member, that includes Britain, uh, no prime minister of any party has been... Um, has actually been an independent person uh, standing for the party. He belongs already, has given his oath. He's sworn to serve this world system and under the Council on Foreign Relations in Britain. It's the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Uh, Canadians, same thing. Doesn't matter what party, every prime minister is a member of this. And that's what Quigley said in his book. And he was a historian for the group, Professor Quigley. He said that, um, he said, so that way it doesn't matter who you vote for, our guys always in at the top, and the lesser politicians are allowed to, to elevate competition between themselves and their opposition to get up the ranks. They're allowed that little game, but they can't play it at the top. It's all belong, it all belongs to the Royal of International Affairs at the top. So we're, we're just played along like good little slaves. That's all. No, no different than the slaves of China or anywhere else. But thanks for calling, and Daniel, maybe you can call tomorrow. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>